Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business of Vancouver Newsroom. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. Today we have a video podcast for you. That's because we're delighted that uh, visiting our town today is the commissioner of the uh, Major, League so- uh, Major League Soccer, Don Garber. Um, commissioner, welcome. It's great to be here. Listen, uh, we have so much to talk about, and uh, we're going to spend about 20 minutes together. I, 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 but, you know, a softer question to start. They'll get harder. I promise you. <laughs> um, what do you? What have you already seen as your major contribution? This is a different league than the one you inherited. My personal contribution. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it is a uh, unending uh, commitment to rally the troops, so to speak, and align us all behind the vision of building a great professional Division One soccer league in North America. And uh, I spend most of my time trying to take all the different constituents that uh, we need to build the sport, to build the league, and get them to share a vision, that vision that North American can be, uh, deserves to have a great uh, men's league that can rival some of the soccer leagues around the world. You came from the NFL. What's the different part of the brain that you use (laughs) for a sport like this? Every aspect of it. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, I. I mean, you were the I guy remember. that you were the guy that kind of invented the uh, NFL, the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> well, so you know, you. I I think the uh, the uh, a great story when I was uh, leaving. I remember then uh, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue was saying to me, "Now you're going to know what life is like without leverage." <laughs> and you know, Ooh, when you that, work for a, a, yeah. <laughs> a, a league like that, you're, you know, you. You automatically get every meeting. You are, yeah. uh, you're, you're the toast of the town, and you're the center of of everybody's interest at a cocktail party. Uh, this is much different. I mean, building this league over the my twenty years has been uh, managing adversity and yeah. managing opportunity and trying to deal with the problems of of uh, any emerging business and trying to recognize when you need to pivot from putting out fires to planting seeds and and trying to create a better future. The common element, of course, among all sports franchises is that the successful ones really become part of life, part of life in a community. What do you think are the ingredients that go into that? Well, you know, sports are are this, the, the, the ultimate unifier. You know, it is the time whether you are uh, in the corner office or you're standing on the corner street corner, standing on the street corner where everybody in a community stops for a moment and uh, gets behind their club in whatever league it's playing in or whatever sport it might be. And living through the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and all mm-hmm. of the, uh, the anticipation when the season starts through all of the ups and downs of a long year and then ultimately, hopefully, lifting a trophy at the end of it all. Uh, and all of that emotion gets sort of um, uh, concentrated into a passion play that if teams or, uh, effect or clubs are effectively connected in the community can create a lifelong relationship with a fan. And that's what makes the sports business so much different than any other business. Uh, it's why we're on, we're scrutinized the way we are. It's why you have media people that are mm-hmm. willing to talk to you about your business uh, when you might not be talking to the guy that owns the local hardware store or the local supermarket. And yet, interestingly, it's one of the few businesses where you don't have to be a winner to be successful, isn't it? <laughs> uh, 
I, I think the answer to that simply is yes. Uh, but if you are not a winner at some point, then the business model falls apart. Right. And we've seen that throughout all the leagues in North America over the last number of generations. Uh, I've uh, We recently announced a new team in St. Louis and the the joy for the uh, the Blues after not ever lifting a championship, uh, right. lifting the cup to finally be able to So do you have that. to win one every 40 years. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so, uh, and, and there's such a deep commitment to that team. So they're right. willing to go through the, the hope in the beginning and then the disappointment at the end. Uh, we talk as a league a lot with our uh, team presidents. We call them chief business officers. We don't call them presidents mm-hmm. uh, about uh, creating a strategy in the beginning of the year uh, that doesn't depend on winning. Because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose every game. Yeah. Uh, and much of it is out of your control. And what business person likes to be subjected to the fact that you can't control most of your outcome? You got a player that gets injured or you have a mm-hmm. bunch of things that happen you have no control over and all of a sudden your season's shot. Yeah. And you don't want that to be the end of your business. Yeah. Star player can get ejected in a heartbeat kind of thing uh, on a field. Uh, you have, though, a very different um role as a commissioner than other commissioners have in the sense of of the way that your league is corporately structured uh, you you know you really have a uh, a community of owners that are uh, they're not franchisees the way that a lot of other leagues have them um, how does that how does that make you a different leader you know it's an interesting I, I i don't get asked that question very often most people don't know mls actually is a company mm-hmm. i'm the corporate ceo of that company and we have a board and that board operates under the same governance in the United States and Canada than any other corporation would. A, we can create those governance rules, but we are accountable to an operating agreement that uh, each owner signs up or into when they buy a piece of the company, which ultimately gives them the right to operate a team. Uh, So I am accountable to them as their CEO, but I also have the unique thing, as all commissioners do, of governing them. Yeah, And uh, that's what I think makes commissioners' roles so difficult and so challenging. Uh, I, I don't need unanimity to get things done. So mm-hmm. probably more similar to a politician, as long as one more than 50% wants you in the job, you work go to work tomorrow. And if one less than 50% don't, you're out of work. So I do think a lot about how do I ensure that I am not being too commissioner-like and assuming this this role, monolithic role, even right. though you do need to be the leader of their business and it is their business, but at the same time recognize that if you're not accountable to them and servicing them and responding to their needs no different than the other corporate CEO, you're not going to be effective. How much of your time do you think you allocate to the newer franchises, to the really older franchises, to those in the middle? I think Vancouver's kind of in the middle. It's about, I think as you put it, it's a 2.0 type of franchise. Uh, how do you allocate your your corporate uh, oversight? You know, that's a it, it's also a very good question, I, and I don't know that I've ever done the math, but uh, we're still growing. So even after twenty five years or twenty four years, we're still a growing, emerging business. So much of my time is concentrated on growth, mm-hmm. expansion, onboarding those expansion teams. So that would fall into the new team category, and ensuring that we're doing the things that will drive success in all markets building infrastructure and getting stadium projects funded and approved and, and ultimately properly constructed and all the things that go in into that. I do spend a lot of time on the poor performing teams, and that's no different than any other business. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's the 80-20 rule. 
right. probably not 80-20 for me. Uh, and then the middle teams, frankly, are the ones that uh, are got to sort of uh, spend more time on their own mm-hmm. uh, because they're not necessarily driving momentum and yet they're not necessarily pulling the enterprise down. Uh, and they operate in this world of wanting to be um, better yeah. and wanting to be in a position where they're at the top of the heap as opposed to in the middle of the heap. I, I have heard from other team owners in other sports about the nature of their commissioners, you know, how, how hands-on, how micromanaged, or, or frankly, how you know, laissez-faire they are. Where, where do you position yourself? What, what do you, you know, think I'm of yourself? I'm very much more the former, not the latter. And I, I think that's still a function of our evolution. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I am probably much more so in the weeds and uh, um, very small organizations, 300 or so people, and yet the league soon to have 30 teams. So yeah. uh, the enterprise grows and, and yet the cost of managing that enterprise is important to our owners. So we can't just have the thousand employees that many of the ma- other major leagues yeah. uh, have. But I would say I'm a, I'm a chief cook and bottle washer at the same time. All right. So then you, like you, you would then, okay, well then you would know then the fans perspective, uh, anytime things aren't going particularly right. Uh, uh, the referee is blamed. Mm-hmm. The referee is blamed. And I, I've seen you uh, on a stage before talk about, what the league is attempting to do in order to cultivate uh, groom referees on this continent who are going to be up to that that stuff. What, what, how well are you doing? Well, you know, I, I think we're doing far better than our uh, a number of different constituents give us credit for um, because that's the nature of the sport. I mean, complaining about referees is something that's it's kind of like uh, in your DNA if you're a soccer or football fan. Correct. I probably spend as much time with my owners dealing with their complaints about referees as I do with fans. I would bet, yeah. But, you know, all we can do is manage it to the data, to the KPIs, the key performance indicators, and the measurement of our officials who are making the right decisions that are match-defining decisions and how they are, how many calls are being overturned with our new mm-hmm. VAR, video-assisted refereeing. And, yeah. Uh, those numbers of turn of overturns are going down. The numbers of of successful calls are going up. But I don't think that even the most experienced referees, take in England for example, fans are um, inviting those folks over for dinner anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Was the fact that you were in North America uh, the uh, the true ability to get video replay established? You know, do you think? Uh, you know, do you think, I, if, I think if you'd so. been if you'd been in Europe and tried to do yeah, this? No, no way. I, I I think FIFA was and and the governing body for the officials actually have their own governing body called IFAB. The I'm not quite sure the International Federation of something. I don't know what they even stand for. Yeah, you better be careful not to not to use the words that you might <laughs> but think of. IFAB, yeah. uh, you know, they are the ones who manage the uh, the laws of the game. Yeah, and I think that as they were getting younger and understanding that technology has uh, evolved to the point where you can utilize video and not change the game or certainly not slow it down much. Uh, I think there was more receptivity to it and we were the, we were the perfect guinea pig for it. Yeah. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time that we have left uh, talking more specifically about the local condition here. And, and uh, I needn't tell you how difficult a year it's been for this franchise, apart from just the fact it's not winning. It had to deal with an off-field situation. And the off-field situation in a lot of ways, I think, was one of the first tests of the league and how it is going to deal with uh, w- with allegations that surface sometimes. Um, 
away from necessarily the club, but within its academy, within its overall organization. Um, how do you think you've handled this? Well, you know, I, I think the the best response is it really was uh, managed entirely by the Whitecaps. It was a Whitecap issue. It was a Vancouver issue. It was a in the Vancouver and the BC jurisdiction. It was a Canadian Soccer Association I- issue. All of this happened before the Whitecaps were even in Major League Soccer. That's right. So I think in this particular case, uh, it was m- much more about uh, being supportive of and helping to advise ownership and uh, and local, you know, the team leaders uh, to manage through this situation and make good decisions and ensure that they were in front of it and and uh, and doing the right thing uh, on broader issues when these things arise in our league and every other league, you read about them every day, the, the league is very involved in it mm-hmm. because of the governance that we have and uh, the responsibility that we place on ourselves to ensure that our uh, teams, their offices, our stadiums are safe from any forms of abuse. Mm-hmm. You you can correctly say that, of course, the allegations took place before the team entered. the. But, of course, the impact uh, has been at the stadium itself. You know, the, the Southsiders marching out at the 35-minute mark of the first half. Uh, you know, the, the fan base being somewhat disgruntled that it wasn't dealt with quickly. If, if you had to look at a learning here over the last number of months, is there one? Well, you know, I think the learning I take from any situation you have where you uh, you get to the right place at the end, but the process to get there isn't perfect is to try to ensure that, uh, you're as transparent as possible. You're doing the work that's necessary. Uh, you're willing to have the courage to dig in deep, uh, even if it's something that happened many, many years ago. And if you believe you did the right thing, uh, you know, I know how tortured this club was at all levels, uh, to, uh, have to, uh, go through this process, and I think everybody sort of came out of it uh, in in a good way when all was said and done. Uh, I know how passionate Greg Kerfoot and Jeff Mallet and Bobby Leonard Doozy and Rachel uh, Lewis is about their team, mm-hmm. and know how difficult it was for them to manage through uh, you know a really terrible situation. Two last questions: uh, one having to do with the the on field team this year. I mean we. Yeah, the team sold a, a great young player in Alfonso Davies to Bayern Munich. And uh, probably the fan base expected that in exchange for all that money would come a couple of marquee players in a hurry. Is there anything that, again, um, you give teams in the way of counsel about how they, how they handle um, the, you know, the, the transfers, the inevitable transfers that are going to come now as players are developed through our academies in, the, in this league um, on how they deal with fan expectations uh, when, uh, when that money comes back in. Yeah. So I think the, there are a multitude of things within that question. You know, the first how do you deal with the fans' expectations? Fans expect that they want to have great new players. When a exciting guy like Alfonso leaves the club, they want to see somebody that's going to be Alfonso or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not so easy. And no. I think what is impressed me about uh, the club is their discipline to ensure that, you know, rather than go out and do something quick that may or may not have delivered value uh, they worked hard to try to find the right player and were not able to do that in a way that uh, had the impact that they'd expected. But that's the sports business. I mean, I, I think that uh, the 
the club believes in uh, the, the this, or the ownership believes in this team, is deeply committed to try to have this club uh, be successful. Uh, I am glad they didn't go out and spend a pile of money on a player that a year from now they'd have to turn around and cut or release. Um, but, you know, the hope is for sure that uh, there'll be players that will come into this team that will excite and uh, and be successful. Uh, one last question, and it's a little bit out of your orbit, but I think you might want to try this one. Um, I think a lot of soccer fans were really disappointed when our premier in one of his first acts said there'll be no World Cup here in Vancouver. How does it? How does a city that actually is the hub of Canadian soccer not have World Cup here? Well, I think that's a question for the premier. <laughs> Probably not. For oh, me. come on! But you, you... <laughs> I, listen, I'm very disappointed as well. I mean, I, I attended the Women's World Cup final here. Uh-huh. I've attended the Olympics here. Because uh, because it it's it would help the MLS so much. Well, would it listen, not? I, I think about it more as a person who loves the sport here in this country, and yeah. basically, I love the city, and I can't. I mean, and and we we. The World Cup is going to be in Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and we have three team three teams in this country: Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. Right now, we don't really have the perfect stadium dynamic to have any of those games. So, I'm um, hopeful we got some time between now and when those decisions are made. But uh, boy, it would have been great to have had uh, uh, the city and uh, and all those associated with it. Uh, kind of do whatever they needed to do to try to get in on the bidding process. Yeah. Well, Commissioner, I appreciate your time. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks so much for your help today. Thank you. Commissioner Don Garber of the MLS. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for watching BIB Today. We'll see you next time.